Welcome, everyone, to It's a Wrap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire and motivate, and people who can educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Frank Rivera. Frank was diagnosed with sarcoidosis in 2011 after being misdiagnosed with lung cancer for seven years prior to that. He also lives with IBS, Sorgen's syndrome, and Parkinson's disease. Frank has become disabled as a result of these conditions and was told in 2018 that his condition was terminal. Still, he remains incredibly active in the sarcoidosis and rare disease communities. In order to support others living with this disease, Frank founded Sarcoidosis of Long Island in 2012. Since then, he has been an active local state and federal advocate for sarcoidosis. Frank strives to raise awareness nationally, specifically focusing on the government sector. He has represented the rare disease and sarcoidosis communities as a speaker at two congressional briefings and appeared on NBC Nightly News in 2018 to discuss right to try legislation. He shares his experience through his personal blog, My Life as a Rare Disease Patient, and is an author of two books, Walking in Silent Pain and I Have Sarcoidosis, But It Doesn't Have Me. Frank's mission is to promote promote awareness and education about sarcoidosis and to ensure that all sarcoidosis patients know they are not alone. Welcome, Frank, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Well, we are certainly happy to have you here on this important subject. Frank, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your life before knowing about sarcoidosis. Okay. Um, I was born and raised on Long Island, New York. And um, then I I was a runner. I ran in high school. I ran in college, got a scholarship in college. I... um, Broke four minutes in a mile. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I ran the marathon in like 2.30. I only ran it once. Uh, well, I marathon. ran a half marathon and I probably ran it in 2.30. <laughs> so you're doing really good. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, um, I ran the New York marathon once, right? Like right after, it's after my junior year in college. And um, my coach wasn't too happy about me doing it <laughs> because I still had another year left. Yeah. <laughs> I could have hurt myself, but I really wanted to do it. So I did. And um, I don't think I'd ever do it again, but it was good. <laughs> it was fun when it was. Once is enough, right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. So, yeah, until 2000, I ended up moving down to Florida because um, my mom was sick. And uh, she ended up passing away in October of 2001. And um, so I ended up staying down there. And I have a daughter who's uh, now 19. (laughs) Um, So she was born in 2002. Uh, And so that was another reason why I stayed down there. And uh, her, her mother and her moved, ended up moving to Oklahoma. But I stayed in Florida for about a year and a half after. But then I, what happened was I found out that um, I was working at a medical plant um, and it was, they sold medical supplies Yeah. and I was one of the, the salespeople, but the, in the back was a warehouse and they were cleaning supply, um, like they would get the old supplies back and what, what they would do is they would clean them and then they donate the old supplies, fix them, make sure they were working in working condition. And they would donate them to people who couldn't afford to buy, you know, the oxygens and, you know, and the wheelchairs and stuff like that. So when they were doing that, they didn't have the right ventilation. So um, I was up front and they were using some really heavy duty chemicals. Yeah. Very, very much. Not good. Yeah. So within a month of working there, I went out one morning to go do my run. I usually was running five to 10 miles a day at that point. And I made it about a quarter of a mile and didn't get any, <laughs> it's time to stop. Uh, it was terrible. I felt like I was, I couldn't take another breath. That's how bad it was. Wow. And then getting heart palpitations because of it. And I ended up calling at the time, my girlfriend at the time, um, and she had to pick me up. We went right to the hospital 
Within a month, they did a biopsy because they found masses. They took a you know X-ray and they saw the white masses in my lungs, and so they went and did a biopsy, and they told me I had lung cancer. Wow. So here I'm, I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go, uh, you know. Um, yeah. So they decided to do chemo and radiation because it was in all of all the lobes of my lungs. So it wasn't like they could really do a surgery. I would have to get a whole full lung transplant. Right, right. So they, um, so they did the four years of chemo and radiation. And then I moved to Oklahoma to be with my daughter for a year. And then I moved back to New York, who I'm living, because I met my wife, now wife. Um, right. And I, 2011, I had, I have IBS as well. And one of the things that, uh, my stomach started acting up. So went to the hospital and they did a x-ray of my abdomen area and they saw the bottom lobes of my lungs and said, you have masses in your lungs again. So I thought it came back. They told me I was in remission. Yeah. So I thought, oh, here we go again. I'm going to have to go through all this again. And um, so they ended up doing a biopsy and the biopsy showed sarcoidosis. And it's kind of weird because my my um, brother-in-law actually has sarcoidosis. Oh, wow. That but is a coincidence. Of, yeah, really. I mean, it's a rare disease. So only yeah. in the whole United States have it. And I happen to know somebody who does. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, his was quite early enough. So he went into remission. One of the things about sarcoidosis, if it's quite early enough, 70 Six, well, they say about 70, 75% of the patients will go into remission uh, with prednisone. They take prednisone and then they go into remission. Um, so I'm thinking when, I, when they told me that, I'm thinking, oh, okay. So I take some prednisone, get it over it. Uh, I'll be fine. Well, um, I started to get pains in other areas. Um, I was having trouble with my, I was getting, I had neurosoc. Um, so it's in my brain. And I was having memory lapses. I was getting dizzy. And then I, the really bad part was in my bones and in my joints. So it's like having, it's um, rheumatoid arthritis on steroids, basically. And it hurts. And, um, every day I'm living with a six to seven pain on a, the scale of one to 10 every day. That's my normal. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Frank, let's, mm -hmm. let's start off. With, with you explaining to our audience exactly uh, what sarcoidosis is, the symptoms, uh, and the causes. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm going to give you the easiest way, form of how to know what sarcoidosis is, is it's overactive white blood cells. Something has to, something has to activate. And they found out it's environmental. It's, like I said, the chemicals that I was around. It's heavy dusts. It's mold. It's insecticides. So when you get that, inhale that, that's how it, it, um, it always, it starts to react to that. And that's how it is. It is. But what sarcoidosis is, is your white blood cells go to fight a disease. Like everybody, when they get a cold, white yeah. blood cells fight it and fight off the cold. Well, mine go to fight it off, but instead of fighting it off, they form masses. And it ha can any be anywhere in your body. Wow. Uh, literally from head to toe and your skin. So it can be anywhere in your body. So, um, and but then, these masses for our audience, they're, they're not cancerous. No, they're not cancerous. Ever. Okay. Um, what happens is they're actually called granulomas. Okay. Um, that's what they call them. But, you know, in layman's terms, they're masses. So, right. um, yeah. So, and the problem is, is they, they calcify. And they get hard and they harden. So, like if you have it in your lungs, 90% of the people who get first get diagnosed get it in their lungs first. So people get what they call fibrosis, which is scarring in your lungs due to the masses because they you can't get rid of them. Right. It's not it's not something like you can go and operate and take them out. Um, because usually when it happens, it happens fast and then it happens in a lot of a lot of places in your lungs. Yeah. It attacks really quickly because it's your white blood cells. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like I said, the basic causes, all they know is environmental. They don't have, they really don't have 
like a genetic cause yet. They think it's genetic, but they don't have the gen, um, the gene. Right. Um, so it's very, they, as of right now, they say they don't have a cause. They just knows what excites it. And that's the chemical. Okay. So maybe, do, maybe down the line with genomic testing and all the genes, that new genes that they're coming up with, they, yeah. somewhere in the future, they might know. Frank, what factors uh, can increase your risk? In other words, uh, age, sex, race, does any of that well, play into it? Well, actually, in, it's really kind of interesting because in the United States, African-American women have sarcoidosis more, more than any other. Um, there are almost like 37%. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it's almost, you know, and then African-American men are second. And so, uh, but the thing is, like I said, it's environmental. So the um, what they're figuring out is, is where the, everybody is living. Yeah. It's more of where people are starting to live because like there's more people in like Georgia, Alabama, this Eastern Southern states. Um, yeah are getting it. Louisiana too, from Louisiana on down, Florida, all that. Um, they, they seem to have the higher concentrates, except for New York now because of 9-11, when they were cleaning up with all those heavy dust and uh, they were told they didn't have to wear masks. Uh, so a lot of them are actually just finding out now that they have it. And um, like, um, like I said earlier, that Mount Sinai Hospital uh, is uh, the biggest sarcoidosis clinic in the world. In 2001, they had 1,500 sarcoidosis patients. They have over 20,000 now. That's just unbelievable, that, that yeah. spike like that. Yeah, Frank, exactly. can you, Frank, can you tell us about the complications and long-term problems, uh, for example, other organs that are affected by this? <laughs> Yeah, um, what, like, I, like I was saying that 70%, if you get caught within the first year, you can take the prednisone and odds are you will go in remission. It doesn't mean you will never get it again. It just means yeah. that it goes in remission. Like my brother-in-law has it and he, um, he, he got it in the 1990s and he's only had one flare up since then. And he had prednisone and he was fine. How but long then, do you have to take the prednisone though? Uh, usually a, a month. It's usually like a it's usually like three to four weeks. They do a high dose and then, yeah. then they work your way down. Okay. Um, you taper, as I say, taper it down. Yeah. Uh, because you can't stop prednisone. All, all no, no, right. Yeah. So, uh, but then there is the chronic, the, you know, the 30% of us that don't get diagnosed early. Right. And the problem with that is that we, this disease is, called the disease of exclusion, meaning they exclude all the other diseases before they actually get to your disease and yeah. they figure it out that it is sarcoidosis. So it's very hard. So it's hard to get it caught in that first year. Right. Uh, so it can, like I said, it attack every organ in the body, every, uh, including your skin. Um, now, of course, the two, the three major areas that they worry about is the lungs, the um, the neurological, and then of course the cardiac sock, because if it gets into your heart and it yeah. calcifies in your heart, you know, stop your heart from beating. Yeah, you've got um, real problems then. Yes. And usually the let's break away for a moment to allow me to tell you about our podcast guest sponsor and supporter T Fortin Barnes and her outstanding company, the green living gurus promoters of healthy living through a non-toxic lifestyle. The mission of the Green Living Gurus is to reduce our homes to chemical exposure and especially carcinogens. Reducing your exposure to chemicals also decreases your chances of developing other illnesses, eliminates headaches, migraines, rashes, runny nose, itchy eyes, sore throats, wheezing, and hives. T is a household toxins health specialist. She's the head guru at Green Living Gurus and owner of T's Organics. She has a family history of cancer and has seen too many suffer from the disease and die. T wants to educate us about those known carcinogens and toxic chemicals that exist in our environment and homes and potentially cause cancer and other illnesses. T brings over 50 years of hands-on real-world experience 
and living a holistic, non-toxic lifestyle. Tea has been detoxing homes for decades for cancer patients, friends, and family. So many chemicals that are in products can be harmful to your health, from ingredients in cosmetics, paint, cookware, food, cleaning supplies, furniture, among others. Some of the great products available from Tea's Organics are the all-purpose cleaner that contains 100% organic essential oils, Tea's Room Spray that makes any room smell great, free of harsh chemicals and other pollutants, available in bergamot and rosemary, chamomile and lavender, and orange and rose. And Tea's Guidebook, Toxins to Avoid, written for people looking for ways to improve their well-being without having to spend hours researching on the internet. Tea offers a VIP consultation and membership, which includes a one-hour consultation to get all of your questions answered. One-year membership in our private VIP Facebook group, Chemical Awareness and Prevention. The Green Living Guru's Guide to Cutting Out Sugar and Where It Hides. Recommendations for Toxic-Free Lifestyle Changes. And 20% off an Austin Air Purifier. And a 15% discount on all Tea's organic products. Green Living Gurus only recommends products that they truly believe are best for you and are not influenced by anyone or any company. T's website, thegreenlivinggurus.com, offers a blog page and access to her podcast, Green Living with T. Check out all this at thegreenlivinggurus.com website. Now, when ordering, use the code HEALTHYHOME for a 15% discount on your order. Information pertaining to the website will be listed in the podcast notes. The problem with that is that most people don't know they have it in their heart until they die. Wow. Because it's not like you could, you can't, you're not going to go in and take a biopsy of somebody's heart. (laughs) Right, right. So, and there's not really, there's no perfect way to find out how to, that it's in your heart. Like, I mean, they do an MRI and sometimes it shows, sometimes it doesn't. Right, right. You can't tell all the time from imaging. Tell us about your diagnosis odyssey and your other medical issues that arose uh, that, nearly killed you. I think we're talking around 2011, 2012. Yeah, 2012. Well, um, I've had eight surgeries. Um, A lot of them are abdomen related. Um, But I mean, it started in 20. uh, Yeah, 2011 was the first one. And that was a gallbladder. And then I had a colon resection. And they took out about a foot and a half of my colon. And then, um, unfortunately, I had a really bad one. I had problems. I couldn't even get up out of bed. My brother-in-law and my wife had to carry me down the stairs. And I went to the hospital. And they told me that I had, um, first they said, we can't find anything. I'm like, what do you mean? I know I'm in pain. (laughs) That's the worst thing. That's the worst thing they can tell you. Yeah. And so they did a CT scan, they did an x-ray, but they didn't do an MRI. So finally, I'm like, I can't go home like this. This is there's no way. So the emergency room doctor's like, all right, you know what we'll do? We'll just try an MRI and see, you know, see if we find anything. They do the MRI and they come back to me and they're like, you have air, you have free air. I'm like, what? You have a hole in your colon. I'm like, okay, I knew something was up. Right, right. <laughs> so they rushed me into surgery. Well, while they would, they told my wife it was going to be like about four to six hours surgery. Six hours passed and nobody came out. And then somebody did come out about six hours and told her, might as well call his family. We're not sure if he's going to make it through the surgery. And the reason was, is they found sepsis in almost every part of my body wow. by the time they caught it. Why they, what happened is, and why they caught it so late was because I was on such high prednisone yeah. that it, it hid the inflammation. Oh. So, yeah, so CT didn't show any inflammation because oh, the prednisone wow. was hiding it. So it was masking my inflammation. So that's why they didn't see it. So the MRI, the only reason they caught it is because it was contrast and the contrast was going, going yeah. into my body. Right. So, yeah. So that was like on a Sunday night, I went in 730 Monday morning. I was in the hospital, I mean, in surgery. 
and then they, uh, I, I think it was like eight or nine hours worth of, and with like four different doctors, surgeons in there, they were telling me. I don't remember because I was put in a uh, induced coma. Yeah. Um, and all the way up until Thursday, and I was on a machine. I was on a ventilator. Um, so I don't remember anything from Monday to what Thursday. My Probably wife, the best that you don't. Yes, exactly. Because my wife was <laughs> laughing at me because uh, she said I did wake up and I was trying to talk to her. And it, like, I, of course, I couldn't talk because I had the tube in my mouth. And then so they gave me a pad to write things down. Yeah. And they said it was chicken scratch because <laughs> I showed it to me <laughs> on Thursday. They were like, look. And I'm like, and I was getting mad because they didn't understand. They didn't understand what I was trying to tell them. Sure. So I was getting, <laughs> I was getting mad at them. So it was like the big joke running joke. But the doctor, when they took out the um, the um, ventilator tube, when I did wake up, and I came, I smiled, and he's like, "Do you realize what you just went through?" And you're smiling. I said, "Well." Uh, What's the what's the alternative? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm awake. I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Frank, how did, knows me as a smiler? Yeah, you are. Frank, <laughs> how how did you handle the news that the cancer diagnosis and treatment were all for naught? How how did you handle it? How did you process that? That took me a little while. Um, I I really took that's what I went to. I kind of went to Mount Sinai to get answers and how that could have happened. And they, the one thing that um, the pulmonary doctor did tell me is that the chemo actually did help me because it didn't let the masses grow any bigger than they were. Okay. So in that respect, the chemo helped. The radiation really took its toll on me. That's the one they said that really hurt. Um, I guess I was down to um, 95, 98, 95 pounds. Yeah, you were telling me that offline. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I was, and I was about 130 ish, 135, I guess I was around that time before that. So at first, of course, you think about suing and blah, blah, blah. And then that's when my doctor was like, you know, here's the, there's two things about this. He goes, and she she was like, I am not telling you not to sue. She's like, but. Here's, here's what they're going to tell you. The chemo did help. So that's one thing they're going to they're gonna push that. The second thing is, do you really want to go down the floor and fight this thing? Because you're sick. <laughs> you don't, you're really sick. By the time I got diagnosed, I had it in 75% of my body. And they're like, so do you want to concentrate on getting, you know, fighting this disease? Or do you want to concentrate on fighting, uh, you know, a court battle and getting, you know, Right. Stress is a bad stress is terrible for any kind of disease. Sure. Um, and especially when your white blood cells are involved, stress accelerates your white blood cells. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with her. Describe your battle with sarcoidosis to our audience, both physically and mentally. What's that battle like? Yeah, it's been um a tough up and down. I call it a roller coaster, of course. Um that you know. I've always been, if I got sick, because I was sick as a child, I had, um, I had lymphoma. And um, so from the ages five to nine, I, had, I didn't even go to school. Uh, so well, half of kindergarten all the way up until the half of fourth grade, I didn't go to school. Uh, so I was always fighting as a child. And my mom was sick. So I always used, she was like my model of like what I needed to do to fight for this. And um, so um, the original battle was, all right, now that I know what it is, what are we going to do about it? And then when I was like, I started reading up and I tried to contact people. There wasn't enough people to talk to about this disease. So I really had a hard time uh, mentally. Really, you know, it was taking its toll on me mentally because you go from, you know, like I said, I was a runner and I, you know, for four minutes and then all of a sudden I was running five to ten miles and then all of a sudden I couldn't even walk a quarter mile. Yeah. You know? So I mean that on itself took its toll. And then in 2014 it got so bad that I had to go on disability. Um I it got into my bones and my joints and um 
the arthritis aspect of it is it's probably the worst part of it for me right now. Um, yeah. I've, and I've tried so many different medicines and I don't know what it is. My body will take the medicine for six months and do it okay, but then it would stop. I got it like he, they would say, and I grow immune, immune to the medicine. Right. Uh, so, um, so it's, it's been, a, like I said, a rough battle. But then in 2000, 2015, like I said, I, was, I pretty much by that time, I tried almost every basic medicine that they could. They're not really medicines for sarcoidosis. They're medicines for arthritis or medicines yeah. for, for, your, like, for your lungs, uh, Simbacort, for, which so is they're, really they're, they're, tre- they're treating you, uh, symptoms, they're treating yeah. you s- symptomatically. In other words. Yeah. Yeah, so because there is no, there, well, there's two approved drugs for sarcoidosis. One is prednisone, which is a killer in itself. Right. Um, it really, the side effects to that are could kill you as well. And then the other is this, what it just got approved just recently is Actar gel, and that hasn't it hasn't had full testing, but it's been approved. Um, so. But um, in 2015, it got to the point, the pain, I couldn't get out of bed. And um, I talk about this, actually, you know, I wrote, I wrote two books. And like you said, and yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah, I talked about this in there that in 2015, I got to the point where I couldn't get out of bed. I was told that none of the medicines are working for me. And I thought about committing suicide. Um, I thought about it so much that I had it planned out. Um, so that was, that was, that was pretty much rock bottom. Oh yeah. And, um, uh, I made one last call before I did, cause I have a, um, I speak to a counselor. I've spoken, I have the same counselor from just before I caught, before I got uh, diagnosed with sarcoidosis, um, cause I was still having some, um, troubles trying to figure out what it was and um so and i knew it was messing with me mentally because i wasn't able to do things that i was yeah. able, you know normally able to do so i was like i i need to talk to somebody so i had a counselor so my last call was to a counselor my counselor and she she actually put something in my head that really made me made sense to me she's like do you really want to kill yourself and i was like you know, I was thinking, yeah, yes, yes, yes. She goes, no, really, do you want to? Why would you have called me? She's like, yeah. if you wanted to do it, you would have done it. They say that most people want to really do that to just to yeah. get out of pain. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I was in so much pain. Yeah. So what we did is I actually put myself into the hospital for a 72-hour watch, um, yeah. which is a psychiatric watch. And um, it's changed my whole outlook on things. Good. And but so it's and I and it actually made me go towards helping people more mentally as well because I knew what I was going through. If I was going through it, and every the one thing that people don't see, and I always talk about this, is I call. I'm sure you probably heard the song "Tears of a Clown." Yeah. Um, You know how you're always smiling. Yeah. But meanwhile, if you're in this pain and right. when you're by yourself, you're crying or whatever, right. you know. So that was my mantra. I was always the tears of the clown. And to everybody else, I was always so strong. And they always like, how could you want to commit suicide? You're always the happy, you know, guy. I'm like, well, you ever see Robin Williams? He was yeah. really all, happy. All the comedians, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all these comedians that pass away or that kill themselves. And um, I'm like, so... I just, that's something that I actually veered toward. And I started talking to people. And because, men, first of all, when people think about mental health, men don't don't want to go see accountants. They think they're supposed to be the strong. You always talk, you're the strong one. You're the right. rock of the family. <laughs> right. But actually, it takes more courage to do it. Yes, that's what I say. You're, yeah. I, I say you're strong when you ask for help. Yeah. You're not strong when you're just, you know, afraid to do something. Yes, I agree. Exactly. Frank, can you tell us about your outlook on life and your life's theory? Uh, well, now my outlook is um, every, like I opened, I started my own organization, Soccer Long Island. And then last year, 
we actually, I opened up a national organization called Stronger Than Sarcanosis. Okay. And um, reason being is I wanted, I wanted patients to be able to call or talk to a patient. There is a national organ, another national organization called Foundation for Sarcanosis Research, and they do great job, a great job. Um, they've grown um, in the 10 years that I've known that they've been around, they're, they're around 20 years. But they were so small when I first got there. There were like three people working in out of a you know office, yeah. and yeah. now they have like eight, and they're hiring four more. But none of them actually have sarcoidosis, so it's hard for them. And so they have to contact ambassadors like myself, sure, and, hang up, um, and then have us talk to them. So I wanted to cut out the middle person and try to you know you could talk to us with it's patients for patients, right, and. Yeah. And that's what my soccer to Long Island was basically about as well is to everything I I've done, I've done three, five K races. I've done five walks. Uh, I've done restaurants and stuff, uh, movies and all this other stuff. Everything I do is always for the patient. Everything I think about doing is always for the patient. Not, and I always say it's not for me. It's for the patient. Cause like <laughs> ask my wife, she could tell you, I, I run myself to the ground. <laughs> oh, I, I, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll crash. And uh, my wife gets mad at me. <laughs> I'm getting better at it now. <laughs> I'm getting better at it. Uh, well, Frank, Frank uh, yeah. how do you advocate? Uh, you do all this advocating when you're personally dealing with this illness. How do you get through it's that? It's actually given me purpose. Okay. It's given me purpose because... I'm not the one who can sit around the house and do nothing. And so what taking that, it was, a, like I said, I had to go to disability and taking that was just so hard. Um, yeah. it's, it's, you know, as they say, your manhood, you know, I'm, you know, you grow up, one of the part of things you grow up is you get married and you're the breadwinner <laughs> or, you know, right. You, right. I had to put too much pressure on my wife because I mean, disability doesn't pay <laughs> yeah uh, so it felt like it's so much pressure so um i think it's really you know it was it's still hard i still have tr- bouts of where i'm getting going back and forth uh but i i the reason i advocate is if i can help one person a day then i feel like i've done something that's, I agree. that's my goal yeah. every day yeah it's just a if I could touch one person, whether it be on social media, whether it be, you know, from one of my events or from me speaking in front of the camera, because I, it's funny, I hated speaking in front of cameras. <laughs> I used to hide. <laughs> yeah, I me did, too. I, you know, I, 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 I do I do advocacy work for another rare disease, male breast cancer. Yes. And, 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 you know, guys really don't want to come out with that one. You know, <laughs> yeah. they feel embarrassed and all, you know, the stigma. But we're, you know, we can't, our guys in our group, we came out and we advocate for it. And just like you, uh, we're doing amazing things to make it, you know, people where, where you say I have male breast cancer and people say, okay, yeah, I know what that is, you know, but it's one person at a time. Yeah. You know, it's tough, but yeah. uh, you're a hero, man. You, you, you really, you really are. Uh, what would you consider are some of your biggest and best accomplishments so far? Um, well, I'm going to tell you one that a lot of people wouldn't even think of. We had, we did do an event. It was um, a Bro- the Brooklyn Cyclones. They were a minor league baseball team um, for the Mets. Okay. And um, they called me up one day, wanted to see if I, because they were having special days for um, for not just rare disease, but you know, for any nonprofits. So they asked me if I wanted to be wanted to do one for my nonprofit, and I'm like, sure. I said, but I want to change it a little bit. I don't want it to be about me, because they were like, well, you can. What'll happen is you'll walk, go into the clubhouse and get to meet the players. Edgardo Alfonso was um, the manager the ex Nets baseball player and yeah. which I'm a big fan. I'm a big Nets fan. So it was to me, that would have been cool, but they were like, you get to go there and then you get to throw the first pitch out. And you also, you know, they talk to you, they put you on the big screen, the whole deal. I said, how, 
one thing, how about this? There's a girl that, um, her name is Hannah, who lives in New York as well. And she's, at the time she was 13. I think, yeah, she was 13 and she has sarcoidosis. So can you imagine being in that much pain as a child? Yeah. And having to deal with that because she has it neurologically as well as arthritis. So um, I was like, how about we do it for her? Let her go out there and throw the first pitch. What a Let gesture. her go out there and yeah. meet the players. Yeah. And she did. At first, she was like, you know, kind of scared about it. And I don't know about doing this. Da, 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 da. And yeah. then she had a blast. The players, she, first of all, you know, she's 13. So she's like, look at these guys. Wow, they're so handsome. <laughs> and they're putting their arms around her. And she's loving that. And then she got to throw the first pitch. And they told her to move up in front of the mound. She could have threw it from the mound. She was <laughs> she threw a strike, perfect strike. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I did go out and to the mound because she was afraid to go out to the mound by herself. So I went to the mound with us, but everything was for her. She got a shirt with a name on the back and she got to play with the mascot, the whole deal. So and then why it was a great event to me, after it was all over, she came running up to me, gave me this huge hug, and just told me I love you. That's it. Yeah. I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Frank. We, we, we know where your heart is. Absolutely. Yeah. You're... I mean, I've had personal accomplishments. I've gotten a, um, accommodation from um, President Obama at the time. Um, I had uh, I had accommodation from Senator Schumer. And Senator Schumer actually sent my story. You know, when they were going for Obamacare, when they were trying to vote it down? Yeah. And John McCain put his thumb down. Yeah. That night I was actually in Washington and it was on, I was on vacation. <laughs> um, and I wanted to show my daughter Washington DC cause she's never been there, even though I was going back and forth. And I got a call from the health advisor and said that, can you speak uh, to the, to the media? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm on vacation, <laughs> but I guess so. Uh, but then they, he was like, I'll get back to you. We want to see when the vote is because we would like you to speak after the vote. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, the vote didn't happen until 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> so that, needless to say, that didn't happen. But I got a call at 1.30 in the morning from his health advisor. Um, did you watch what was going on? I said, yeah, of course I did. I mean, it was my life. <laughs> sure. Um, and I was in the, in the hotel room, my wife and my daughter are sleeping and I'm watching it and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, he, she was like, I need to tell you something. I didn't know about this until about 10 minutes ago. Senator Schumer sent my story to all the senators. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And then he sent it to McCain, Senator McCain, and he put there, read his story. This is from one maverick to another. Did you know how Senator McCain always was a maverick? Yeah. That's what his nickname was. And so um, she was like, you made a difference. You made a difference in your life. So I actually got to meet Senator McCain before he passed away. And he said he he remembers that, and he said that he did remember that on the floor, and how that's he said we can't if we have nothing to back up, what would happen to somebody like me? Yeah. So he's uh, like, so you can think about you made a huge difference. You sure did. You sure. And did. I was like, I was like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so kind of caught me off guard. What is your advice for people out there struggling and perhaps at rock bottom? What, what can you tell them from your first experience? Of all, yeah, first of all, you're not alone. There always there's always somebody to talk to. Um, if it's mentally mental, you know, there's always this suicide hotline to help you. There's also um, if you go on to our website, it's actually my cell phone's on there. <laughs> uh, I do that on purpose. Um, I've gotten calls from <laughs> at all different times. And yeah. uh, but it's because I would want somebody to be there for me. And so I will try my best to be there. Um, if I don't answer, I answer 
usually really quick. Uh, but I just don't want somebody to think they're alone. You're not alone. There are so there's 200,000 people in the United States alone. Yeah. And oh, one thing I did, we were talking about the African-American, you know, the population. Yeah. One thing I, why I said it was weird is because in Europe, the, the population that has sarcoidosis the most in Europe is Scandinavian. Really? I mean, you can't get too much, you can't get too yeah. much difference in Scandinavian. Right, right, yeah. yeah. That's and interesting. I, that's why I said you, you really have to see where they're living. Yeah. Environmental. 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 Yeah. Uh, can you give us some quick advice for the caretakers out there dealing with a, yeah. with a poor uh, prediction of outcome? It, to, I always say it's not a death sentence. Um, I, my, my sarcoidosis specialist told me this. The very first day I went to his office, he said, he goes, you're not going to hear this from any other doctor. He said, fighting a, a rare disease is 90% mental and 10% physical. Well, I hear that all the time. Yeah, he's like, not many doctors will, want, will admit it because they're putting their less emphasis on themselves. And a lot of them are too big on, on their head, he always says, <laughs> for them to say yeah. that. Um, but if, you, if your mind gives up, you give up. There's no, he goes, there's no medicine I can give you. Right. If, you, if your mind gives up, I can give you the best medicine, the best cure, but your body is given up. So that's the whole thing. You have to want to fight and, and take rest when you need it. Your body is going to dictate. Sarcoidosis is called the snowflake disease because no two people have the same symptoms. So you have to listen to your own body and don't, don't, because it is an invisible disease, don't let those doubters get in your mind. Right. Because I get told uh, probably about 10 times a day, but you look fine. <laughs> yeah. It's, it hurts inside. Of course, I look fine on the outside. Yeah. But don't let the doubters. I mean, I've had family members that have doubted me at times. And until they saw what I went through and seen what I've gone through. Then, then they it opens up their eyes to see it. But don't let don't let them. You have to worry about yourself. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. <laughs> right, right. What Frank? What role did your faith play in dealing with all the ups and downs? Um, I I totally believe. I mean, I I've prayed many times. I've really. Um, I think I. One of my best friends passed away recently from sarcoidosis. I call him my brother. Um, Absolutely, he is. Yeah, he was my brother. Him and I call talk to each other at least once a week. He lived in Louisiana, and um, he passed away October, somewhere around there, September, October. And um, he like. He was really one who helped me out and tried to clear my mind spiritually as well. And he told me, one of the things he told me that really stuck in my mind is like, you're here for a reason. Um, and he goes, I don't, he goes, I really believe you haven't fulfilled your reason. He's like, you know, I, he's like, one thing about me, I don't, I'm not really one to take um, compliments well, like, because I don't want to, I'm not in it just for You're me. a humble guy. You're a humble yeah. guy. Yeah. And I'm not in it for me. I mean, I know, I mean, I'm a realist. I know probably in my lifetime, there probably won't be a cure. But if I, as long as I leave this kind of this world in better place than it was, it, then I know I did something. I achieved something and I'm okay with that. Uh, but you know, so he, he always told me in like, he called, he called me from the ICU. He, he was, I was one of his last phone calls wow. and, and he told, he outright said to me, he's like, you're, he goes, I'm passing the torch to you because he had it for like 30 years, 40 years. And he, um, so he, he's like, I'm, he said, I'm, uh, you know, I'm passing the torch because you you have so much more you to give and you have, he's like, I know, 
He goes, I know in your brain, you're always thinking of something new, different to do and try to raise awareness. So he said you were. Uh, yeah, uh, I was here earth. for more. For more. They, more. Uh, in 2018, I was the one that was told I was I only had months to live. So I never thought I was going to be the the last of the three amigos. And but he always he always said, no, you're going to be you, I you have more. You have so much more to give. You think you gave a lot, but you have so much more to give. So I, I really believe that I'm here for a reason. Because if you would have asked me 10, uh, probably about 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I would be an uh, advocate or a, uh, running a nonprofit. I would have laughed at you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I used to own my own businesses, but I, just, I mean, I like helping people, but I never thought about it this way. Right, right. <laughs> Tell us about the books you wrote, uh, Walking in Silent Pain, and I Have Sarcoidosis, But It Doesn't Have Me. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, the Walking in Silent Pain, I wrote first because it's, um, it tells you who I am and how I got here. Um, like I said, at the age of five, I had lymphoma, and um, I, you know, I had to deal with that. I don't remember a lot of it. I think my brain kind of like, you know, try to forget about it. And then things are starting to come back to me now. And, um, but I, I, like I said, I didn't go to kindergarten, half a kindergarten. I, and then I didn't go back to school until fourth grade. And then when I went back to school, they were like, we can't put him in fourth grade. He didn't go to first, second or third. So my my mother's like, test him, do a test and see where he belongs. I did a test and they were, they put me in fifth grade. Wow. That's what, and I'm like, I didn't, <laughs> you didn't lose any there. steps there. No, uh, my brothers were really good. They, I mean, I started out reading the, I was a big sport. I'm a, I still am a big sports fan. Um, I would read the sports pages of the newspaper. <laughs> and then um, my mom Ended up buying the World Book Encyclopedias. Remember how they back in the day, the World Book Encyclopedias? Uh, yeah. uh, she got the like, I think it was like the 1972 edition. <laughs> and I'm dating myself here, but um, I started reading them. And, and by the time I went back to school, I read from A to Z. Wow. <laughs> and my brothers would help me if I didn't understand the word. My brothers would read it with me and go over it. One of my brothers, three years older than I am, so he, you know. And yeah. yeah, so I, so by the time I took the test, I really, you know, I had, I had more than enough knowledge. Um, I ended up going back into fourth grade because my bro one of my brothers is a year older than I am. And I was in the same same grade as him. <laughs> and he didn't like that too much. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Frank, what excites you? What excites you going forward uh, in your advocacy work? Um, it just it's great to see when you when strides are being made. Okay. And like I said, 10 years ago, you, you could, I mean, the one organization had four people, three or four people. And then it's not just that. It's just seeing like we didn't have, now we have two drugs that are, you know, are put up, up as, you know, for sarcoidosis. Then you see in all these clinical trials, when I first started, there was three clinical trials on clinicaltrial.gov. Now there's over 100 for sarcoidosis wow. alone so i mean that's progress that, yeah yeah you get to see it. it like people a lot of people that have the disease don't see it because they don't investigate or look into it so right. i like to let people know that you, you know yeah we are we there's some other rare diseases that are ahead of us of course but we're making strides we're getting somewhere um because we couldn't have a cause we couldn't even get a, what they call animal model you know, you couldn't you couldn't give the animal right. in what, Austria last year. They did. Well, Frank, you know what you know what you're doing. You're giving people hope. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I just want people to realize it's not a death sentence. Right, right. It doesn't have to be. Frank, how can people contact you? Well, they can either go on to uh, strongerthansarcoidosis.org or sarcoidosisofli.org. Um, those, those are the easiest way because they can find me right on those pages or um, uh, 
my email, they can email me at uh, fjr311 at gmail.com. Okay. That's the easiest one to email me at. But yeah, um, and then, uh, my, like I said, my cell phone number is on, on my webpage. That's how much, you know. And that's uh, stronger than sarcoidosis. Yes. I'm going to include that information in the podcast notes. Thank you. Thank you, Frank, for coming on the podcast and sharing your personal story. And thank you for all you're doing to help others. Uh, You are touching lives every day in a most positive way. And you are an inspiration to all of us. I know I speak for everyone in the audience and myself that We wish you nothing but good health and good fortune for you and your organization going forward. Uh, For people out there, comments and suggestions, you can email me at itsarapwithrap at gmail.com. Our website is itsarapwithrap.com. You can drop your email address there, get on our mailing list. We have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook group, It's a Rap with Rap. That group is growing very nicely. We're on Instagram, It's a Rap with Rap podcast. YouTube, all the episodes are on It's a Rap with Rap the podcast uncut. Thanks everyone for listening. Everyone, please stay safe out there. And for now, it's a wrap.